Teacher Vet is a podcast about topics in veterinary medicine. Though we strive to provide research-based information, it is not intended to be used as medical advice. So if Fido is feeling sick, be sure to take him to your vet. Trust us, they know what they are doing. Hi, I'm Jacob Vockler, and I'm the teacher. Hi, I'm Amanda Vockler, and I'm the vet. And you're listening to Teacher Teacher Vet. Vet. Hello, and welcome to episode three of Teacher Vet Podcast. Can you believe we've made it all the way to episode three? Three whole episodes. (laughs) Three whole episodes. I was fairly positive our marriage wasn't going to make it past episode two. Yeah, we kind (laughs) of ran into some recording issues, but hopefully we maybe have them figured out. Hopefully we do. I think at this point, I almost have an associate's degree in audio engineering, and soon enough, I might have a bachelor's degree, and then I'll teach you a little bit about what I know. How about that? (laughs) Is that going to be on our podcast about how to record a podcast. Nobody wants to listen to me talk about <laughs> what I've done to figure out how to record a podcast. No. No. Well, you, for those that have listened to our other episodes, you might hear maybe a slight difference and hopefully a slight improvement in at least the recording quality is yeah. what we hope for. We hope to get better and better every week and we've had some technical difficulties and learning and uh, so we have hopefully are better right now and uh, we're hoping that this is a better episode than the last one. And then going on from there. Amanda, so this week, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. We're not talking about a specific medical portion um, or any kind of medical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. What I really want to talk about is I really want to talk about how your education as a whole has really brought me down as a man. Totally brought you down. (laughs) What you don't... uh, uh, This is serious. I hope everybody knows how sarcastic Jake is being right now. (laughs) My career has been hindered because of how highly educated you are. I know. I've totally hindered you and just smashed you down to the ground. (laughs) I can't can't keep the bit going any longer than that. No, today we're going to be talking about women in veterinary medicine and the not a direct quote what I just said, but pretty close uh, are things that have been said about women in veterinary medicine and and women as a whole throughout a lot of history, unfortunately. So we're going to jump into the concept or the topic of women and women's rights. And I'm super qualified for that, don't you think? No, totally. (laughs) I hope I don't get too mad at you through through this So what you're saying is I better hope our marriage lasts through episode three. (laughs) Yeah, now through episode three. Hey, so I start with what I think is a fairly funny, sarcastic joke right up front. Because the reality is, as much as we we want to make some of the stuff we do funny, uh, this is a pretty tough topic. We're going to have some humorous things here and there. It may not be laughs all the way through. We may find some funny things all the way through. Um, the biggest part that I want everybody to know is that if there is something, it, it, these are all jokes. Like if I do say a joke, I'm not trying to be insensitive or anything. I can come across insensitive sometimes. <laughs> Would you agree? Yep. All the time he tells me, I was just trying to tell a joke. I was just trying to be funny. I was just trying to be funny. And then he's trying to make up for it later. And 90% of the time, it's funny. (laughs) The other 10% of the time, I get in trouble. Yeah. So It might uh, be a little higher than that. It might. (laughs) Depending on the day. For for this specific episode, though, we're going to be very serious with a lot of stuff talking about women in veterinary medicine and the history behind it and everything. Um, We'll try and find some jokes along the way. Okay? Sounds good. So... 
here's a couple of things that we need to make sure that we touch base on. First of all, we're going to be talking about women in veterinary medicine starting back in the 1800s. And when we're talking about that, the stuff that I'm going to be talking about is not just completely applicable to women in veterinary medicine. This is applicable to just women in general in most professions. And so there's going to be some points that I make here. But, you know, I teach a lot of like civil rights and feminism and women's um, rights movement throughout the 60s and the 70s in my class. And and there's a lot of stuff that was said then Mm -hmm. that unfortunately was said all the way back in the 1800s about all women in all professions. And we just happen to specifically have some points about women in veterinary medicine. But uh, I think I thought it was important to kind of start with telling everybody these these were issues in all professions, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. I would agree. This first section, I have a couple of quotes that I want to read to you. There was a really good article that was written. Not an article. Article kind of doesn't do it justice. This was a research paper that was written specifically about pioneers in veterinary medicine, women pioneers in veterinary medicine. And there's some quotes that I pulled from that that are angering at the very least in some scenarios. So let's just go ahead and read those. What do you say? (laughs) We'll see how I feel about them. Okay, let's go for it. We may need to take an anger break at some (laughs) point this evening. All right. So the first one was uh, the thoughts about being useless since uh, women were not able to find jobs afterwards. So and I quote, studies of veterinary medicine are not for women since they would not get a job when they graduate, only maybe in a laboratory. What do you think about that? Uh, I know lots of women that (laughs) now have jobs outside of labs. Yeah. I think what comes to mind with that one, in all honesty, is two things. Number one, what the heck's wrong with working in a laboratory? Yeah. I can't work in a laboratory. (laughs) That's that's a... You're still a doctor if you're working in a laboratory. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it demeans people who work in a laboratory, which, by the way, if you listen to our last episode... People who worked in laboratories were the people who found cures for things like heartworm. And as we talk about for the next however long this podcast lasts, people who found the cures were people who worked in laboratories, right? Mm -hmm. So I I don't want to belittle that. But obviously, when you're talking 18 and 1900s, you're talking about that that was maybe looked down upon differently. I don't know. But they clearly thought so. Men did specifically in this area. So number two, questions were brought up about women's motives behind getting into vet school. Quote, women were studying only to attract a man and ultimately get married, close quote. (laughs) Did you go to vet school to find a husband, Amanda? Well, first of all, I already had a husband. Oh, yeah, that's right. When I went to vet school, (laughs) if you remember right, Jacob. (laughs) Well, oh, yes, yes, I do. (laughs) So, no, I wasn't looking for one. (laughs) (laughs) I'd hope not. And one might argue that a lot of women that go into any graduate school are not going to graduate school to find a man. They're actually probably the opposite, that they are kind of putting their life on pause in order to pursue higher education. I, I would I would second that for sure. I, I mean, I, I didn't go through technically as much schooling as you did, but I went through and got my master's degree. And I'll tell you what, like I, there was a lot of women in the master's program that I went through. Being in education, we have a decent um, combo men and yeah. women and there were a lot of women in that program and, and most of them were married or mm-hmm. were very focused on their degrees being married to you while you were in vet school I was always teased and joked at being vet school husband yep because you had tons of friends who were all women 
and they were out living alone or they had, or there are multiple girls in one house, right? Mm-hmm. There's the bachelorette pad is what they always joked and called it. Yep. And I got calls weekly, right? Needing help with things here and there and fixing yep. something in the house or helping them with their car or whatever. I'll tell you what, the, these these You gr- really learned how to cook really well. <laughs> I learned how to cook really while well. While I was in vet school. <laughs> this this is not about <laughs> me, but, but my point being is that these women were were laser focused on school. Mm-hmm. And I can I can tell you that for sure. I mean, sure, they had fun and, and we all hung out on the weekends and, and I know they dated and things like that. But there was a laser focus on school. Yep. I, I, we know that to be that the case That was not today. our main goal going yeah. to school. <laughs> I can't imagine again. that in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that it was really any different. No. Uh, there, you, if you wanted to find a man, you could find a man. If you wanted to marry somebody who had a job who was going to support your family, there you could... definitely other ways yes. and way less expensive ways. <laughs> way less expensive ways. Uh, although we're not talking Maybe. student debt, but <laughs> 1800s, I'm sure, cost significantly less than well, it does today. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go. Let's keep going. Let's keep this awesome train rolling. Okay. So there was the physical factors that were brought up. So quote: Some female students were of low height, tiny, and appeared weak. Close quote. Appeared weak. Well, yeah, but... that one. That one was almost hard to say. <laughs> they might appear weak, but. Those, those little ones are the ones you got to watch out for. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, having watched vet students go through what they are I, mentally, right, without question, mm-hmm. every one of them are, are stronger than strong. But physically speaking, you hear the stories of the stuff that you guys have to do through vet school and as veterinarians in the profession, whether it's small or large animal, there's a lot of hard work there. And there, so, yeah, there is a physical aspect to it. But, you know, I never felt. I guess, downgraded or that I couldn't keep up with anything physically, especially in like large animal. And that's definitely more physical than, than any small animal things. And the biggest thing that nowadays, and even what I know, it doesn't take brute strength. It takes patience Mm -hmm. and time and working with whatever animal you're working with to try and find a way of restraining appropriately to where you're not forcing them down and being sometimes that brute strength that is actually a hindrance and and being kind to our patients yeah well you also are fortunate to have gone to school in 2015 in vet school where there was definitely a different viewpoint where the some of the techniques and technology that we now have it's a lot more advanced it's a lot more advanced and so i'm not picking aside i'm not even being funny here i'm just saying to a man in 1910 i can see for a second why they might say you're not strong enough to do this job because there was probably a little bit more pure brute strength and, and techniques that was probably the way that they handled more large animal scenarios would you say i'm right maybe not yeah. I'm, I'm kind of making I mean, a I guess would, there. i don't know exactly but sure Sure. Yeah, I would agree. And so I'm not saying it's right, but I do think it's important when we're when we're critiquing some of these old ideas, I think it's important to also put our hat on and say what was the mindset like too. Yeah. Not giving people passes, but sometimes it helps at least understand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um I still think they're wrong. I think that you that women are are able to do pretty much everything um that a man can do if they really really want to. Mm-hmm. Um so it's just as simple as that, but all right, 
so the next and last one, and probably one of the most frustrating to me, <laughs> there were some of the reasons or some of the thoughts behind why women shouldn't get into vet school. There's one very clear and obvious one that's actually stated in the Iowa State Veterinary College application denial that was sent to a woman. Okay, and in so this the denial, is a, le- a legitimate rejection letter. This is a legitimate rejection letter said much better than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and I quote, it says, It is the policy of the Division of Veterinary Medicine at the Iowa State College not to admit women to the professional curriculum. Because of the limited educational facilities, it has been necessary to restrict the number of new students who may be admitted. Each year, we receive more applications for men uh, for men students. That's a bad sentence. That's how it's said, though. Each year, we receive more applications for men students than can be accommodated. If women were admitted, they would di- displace the same number of men. In many cases... Women are not physically equal to the educational requirements of the large animal clinics. We are sorry to disappoint you. If you wish, we will be happy to consider your application for admission to some other curriculum offered by the Iowa State College. Now, what they're saying is that they don't have the physical facilities to handle women and men. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, at a very simple level, they're saying, sorry, we don't have changing rooms for you we don't have locker rooms for you like well, we, we don't know just, where to put you we put a i i get from that sorry we put a priority on the men yeah we have so many seats and there's more men yep. applying so that means they get priority and if we accept a woman um we would have to change things and that's just too hard yeah yeah so Ugh. so we have i think adequately set the stage for anybody who's listening to understand what the thought process was in the mid 1800s. If you listen to episode one, you'll learn that was when vet schools started. So from the mid 1800s to the early 1900s, this was a denial letter from the 1950s. Okay. It's the 1950. 1950. Oh my gosh. So in fact, I, I think specifically 1957. Oh, boy. So let's call it 100 years, right? Between the mid-1800s and 1957, this is the thought process behind women in veterinary medicine, right? (laughs) So we've set the stage, okay? So with that set, let's talk about a couple of really interesting ladies who looked at this and said, here's the middle finger, right? For lack (laughs) of a better way to put it. These three women. Had a girl. Yeah. <laughs> these three women are are like my rock stars. I'm going to pause for a second, and I didn't intend on talking about this, but I will for just a moment. So we are parents to a beautiful little girl, right? Mm-hmm. We have a two-year-old, just a little over two, and she's- Small and feisty. Small and feisty. I love her to death. Just like anybody who's a parent of a toddler, you have moments where you think you want to sell them. I love her, and I wouldn't trade her for anything. Watching- the world and how they interact with women has never been more on the front of my mind than it has been the last two years because of our daughter. Mm-hmm. So when I read the stories of these three ladies who I'm about to tell you about, I just think I want her to know these ladies, right? Yeah. Regardless of veterinary field, I, I don't know what she's going to go into, but there is a story of, of these three ladies I'm about to tell you about that they are absolutely just breaking the mold and saying, 
forget all of the norms. I'm doing it because I want to. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. Right. That's really cool. Okay. So let's jump right in. The first one is Dr. Aileen Cust. Now, I know you had a chance to read a little bit about her, but uh, do you know anything or had you ever heard of Aileen Cust before this moment? I hadn't. I have to admit that okay. I didn't know a lot about veterinary history about women, yeah. you know, before I even went to vet school. Cool. So. That's totally fine. So let's uh, learn a bit about her, right? So Dr. Cust was born in 1868 in Ireland. She was known for being very caring, or excuse me, very career-oriented, driven, independent, and caring. This sounds like a phenomenal person, doesn't it? Yeah. Not very sounds much. Sounds like for- a perfect vet. Sounds like a perfect vet. Uh, For a woman in the 1800s, though, who wants to be a professional, this was looked down upon very, uh, very badly. Oh, yeah. Uh, Unfortunately for her. So she attended the New New Veterinary College in Edinburgh. Edinburgh, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, Edinburgh. Edinburgh, either way. Under the name of A.I. Custance. Why do you think, if you you don't already know, why would she come up with a new name? Probably so her family doesn't have to be connected. I think that that's fair. I think you're actually really close. It was to spare embarrassment to her family. Also okay. on the application, just a paper application, AI Custance, is that male or female? I don't it's, know. It's a pretty yeah. pretty generic name. So she applies through AI Custance. She gets in and she graduates in, in the year 1900. As she's graduating, she applies for a, a position at, at the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in England and also is, applies to become to get a license to become a full doctor. She is denied, even though she's graduated from veterinary school in the year 1900. So she moves back to Ireland and she starts working as a veterinary assistant. So she's gone through one of the better vet schools in her area, in her country, in, in, you know, in, in her region yeah. as a whole. She's gone through all the training, all the work. She knows how to be a veterinarian. She knows how to be a doctor and they deny her and she has to go back home and she becomes a veterinary assistant. All right. So she's demoted. A little demeaning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So she will work for over 20 years as a veterinary assistant. Wow. Yeah. In 1917, she was appointed to the British Army Bacteriology Laboratory. That sounds intense to me. Working um, in a lab. It was associated. Yeah. She probably couldn't find a husband when she was at vet school. Yeah. <laughs> and so she so got pushed she into a lab. <laughs> This was actually very closely related to a vet hospital in England as well, as well as it was very closely related to um, the Queen's Army. And something to note that actually comes up later on, on her application to become a doctor, this work is actually very helpful for her. Um, Something that is super in her favor that makes the difference is in 1919 British Parliament, which is like our Congress, right? Mm -hmm. They're the lawmakers. Mm -hmm. They passed the Sex Disqualification Act, which in very simple terms makes it illegal for companies or any kind of organization to to discriminate hiring on whether on gender. gender. Based on gender, yeah. Yeah. Right after that, she puts in her application, right? It was within, within a couple of years. So Dr. Custer Perfect uh, timing. Yep, yep. So she puts <laughs> in her petition to take the exam through the Royal College of Veterinary, uh, Veterinary Surgeons. And um, so they, they, had, they had shut down her opportunity to take this exam earlier. Yeah. She puts in the uh, application. 
on her application, she has that she's passed vet school 20 years ago. She has that she has been working for the um, for the laboratory, which is closely related to the Queen's Army. Right. She has all these things going in her favor. And then the law was passed that they can't discriminate on her. And so what I think is really cool is that when she does the exam, they don't even make her take the whole exam. They just make her take like a quick oral exam and they give it to her right off the t- right there. Oh, Boom. that's awesome. Yeah. So they so they give her. Um, basically her her diploma or her degree at that point and she becomes a doctor officially becomes a doctor 22 years after graduating from vet school Jeez, yeah that's persistence very much so (laughs) very much so so that's really awesome so then we get to dr mignon nicholson okay mignon mignon yeah dr mignon nicholson the reason why dr mignon nicholson is so cool is that she was the first veterinarian to female veterinarian to graduate from vet school in america Okay. In 1903. Do you want to know something really awesome about her? Yeah. I do too. Unfortunately, it's there's nothing there. Oh. <laughs> That's a joke that really is only going to land for like me and you because, and now after you'll understand, this is really sad actually. Dr. Nicholson has nearly nothing out there about her. Wow. Um, in fact, all of the sources that I found about her all state the exact same thing. Little to no records about her as a whole, other than she graduated. Some records about where she was from, but even then there was like some discrepancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, there was just no journaling on on any of her professional life or anything after her graduation. We just know she graduated in 1903 from the college, veterinary college in Chicago. So, wow. um, which actually, I, this is like where my my history brain kicks in a little bit because you can start to make like some assumptions about maybe what happened uh i think that unfortunately what i'm guessing might happen is she probably didn't practice veterinary medicine because the world around her was not was not not okay with it yeah Yeah. so that's really sad that 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 might be the case Uh, i was gonna go for like the happy story like she didn't want to make it a big deal and like not be all boastful like yeah. I'm the first woman <laughs> going through. But you know, I guess and, that is a good point that an alternative though to kind of allow that that maybe that's true, right? So let's say that that's true. Your happy story is better than my sad story. <laughs> let's say that that's true. Now I'll make it sad again. Let's say she didn't talk about it very much. She didn't boast about it. It also means that nobody around her did either. So nobody else saw it as important enough to note. Yeah. And that's pretty... That's really depressing, It is depressing. It is depressing. (laughs) Why did you have to... Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's going to get really kind of cool here in a minute. Um, All right. So last couple of of things. So let's go to the last doctor. Dr. Eleanor McGrath. Have you ever heard of that name before? I have not. Okay, that's okay. I Doc- probably maybe should now that you're giving me that face. <laughs> no. Dr. Eleanor McGrath, the reason why she's so cool is she was the first female to be accepted into the AVMA, which oh, we talked about in episode yeah. one. That was mm-hmm. the first veterinary association yeah. in America. No, her name has been mentioned before. Yeah, I you, have you've probably that. heard it. There's yeah. also a scholarship that's out there specifically yeah. for females. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so... I applied for that one. I didn't get it. No, not cool enough. <laughs> Well, now there's a lot of women. Applying. There are a lot of women, which we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. So in 1916, she was admitted to the AVMA. She was a well-known uh, small animal veterinarian in Chicago for 35 years. Wow. And like I said, the biggest reason why she's known is not just the AVMA, but then there's a fund that, that con- continues to persist th- through today for women who are in going into, into vet school. And yeah. so 
that's uh, so that's kind of cool. So those are the three main women that I wanted to talk about. There are endless stories out there about women who totally fought back against the norms of the time and and won and were totally successful. Stories from uh, a Russian veterinarian who happened to be in Berlin after the fall of Berlin after World War II. She was the one who raised the flag in Russia or the Russian flag in Berlin to show that they won. Like that was a vet. It was a vet. It was a female vet as random as that is and I That's had never cool. heard that. There's stories all over from Switzerland in 1889 to New Zealand and 1920 all the way to Luxembourg in 1975 where so this article that I've mentioned and, and we'll throw it up on the social medias I think it'd be totally worth it to people who are willing to nerd out about it yeah crazy stuff out there really cool women some have a lot of information some have very little but all of them fought back against the norm and the norm being that it was a man dominated profession in a man dominated world and they looked at it and said no we're gonna no. fight back yeah so That's pretty really cool, cool. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the shift, right? Where did it happen? Yeah. We'll jump forward a little bit. Today, veterinary medicine, what is Mainly it? Mainly female. Female dominant. Right? Yeah. This is an absolutely female dominant profession without question. We're, we'll talk about the data. I saw it firsthand, All right, We have some amazing <laughs> friends that we met through vet school who are males. They, they're, they're some of the coolest dudes I've ever met. It was, but it was all... It was all girls in yeah. vet school. <laughs> Women. Women. I'm sorry. Women. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the major shift, right? And here's, I'm going to get pretty deep with just a lot of numbers here. So just try and follow along. It was the best way I could think of how to really help you see, right, is trying yeah, to paint a change. mental picture is these numbers. So in 1969, there were 89% of vet students were male. Okay. That's not that long ago. No. Okay. In 2008, jumping forward quite a bit, 22% were male. Wow. And then just two years ago, just actually the year after you graduated from vet school, Mm -hmm. in 2017, there were 12,786 veterinary students in America total, less than 20%, 19.5% are men. Wow. And so so I can't find any data today, like right this moment. 2017 was the most recent I could find. It's got to be within a percent or so, but that's so less than 20% are male. Okay. So mm-hmm. we go from 100% essentially yeah. down to less than 20% in, in a matter of 100 years, right? A little over 100 years. Yeah. Additionally, something that's actually really interesting is um, 1986 is a very important date. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I talked about this. You remember what 1986 is important for? That was when it shifted. That was the shift. That is correct. That was the big shift when it was more. Uh, or no, almost. it was 50-50. Yep. 1986 That's was right. the last year that it was even numbers. So there was there was the same amount of women as there were men in school, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really important because it's going to come up in a minute that w- the numbers we're talking about right now are women and men in school specifically, yeah. right? Which is a trend. Where, I mean, it's definitely worth talking about. Um, but it's gonna. There's some data that's gonna be interesting. We'll talk about in a minute too. So fifty fifty in 1986, men and women, um, and uh, and then since then it's just been a downhill on the graph for for men mm-hmm. in vet school. So let's talk about. Apple. You're always down. Why can't you say exponentially growing? 
for women. Let's well, let's do the positive spin, Jake. <laughs> that's a really good point. Uh, I was gonna make a joke and say because well, I'm a man and I'm t- and you should have done the work, but that would have had me sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> so, anyway, moving on. Let's talk about <laughs> applications. <laughs> This so, is a his- history predominated subject. This, this is it is. So your wheelhouse. <laughs> so the let's talk about applications. Okay. So nineteen eighty five, forty four percent of applicants were men. In nineteen ninety nine, twenty eight percent of applicants were men. In two thousand seventeen, to today, seventeen percent of applicants are men. Okay. So less than. Yeah. The students that are in school you're, are actually applying. You're on to me. So <laughs> if 17% of the of the pool of applicants as a whole are men and 20% of people in vet school are men, there's it's so only a couple of percent. they're still slightly accepting a little bit more than the numbers that are being applied. I think it's easy to argue that they are over accepting men um and probably and and uh, I, I hate to accuse her or whatever but they're probably kicking some female applicants to the curb mm-hmm. in favor of some men uh because they they're trying to get the men numbers up so yeah. unfortunately it might be easier well i don't know, it depends on how you look at it i don't want to get accused of of a male-centric opinion here but it might be easier to get into vet school if you're a man right now. And, and the data would I think kind of just, prove that. Yeah, well, just the sheer numbers. Mm-hmm. Of, I even, I mean, going through the application process and everything like that, I understand that, especially being a white female, I had to work really hard and do the best I could to try and stand out Yeah. in comparison. So it's a lot harder to, to get in. Yeah. And and vet school as a whole is hard to get in. I don't want to put anybody down. If you got into vet school, kudos. Good on you, right? Mm -hmm. Male, female, whatever, race, gender, it doesn't matter. Good job. commendable. Right? Absolutely. No question. But the data will prove that men are getting accepted at a higher rate than females. In comparison to the numbers that are applying. Correct. And so... um, all the stuff that you read, all the all the data, all the research that you read, all the opinion pieces that you read, all of the admitting. There's there's a couple of cool articles out there of admission boards who have answered questions that like the AVMA has set out and things like that, where mm-hmm. they talk about they're saying we are doing everything we can to try and twist this around because yeah. they don't want it to be this small of a male percentage. And yeah, so, universities are all about diversification. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, no question. Yeah. The and I and again, kudos to women. Kudos to women for for taking over a profession. I mean, they they are proving to to be good, to be reliable, like they're they're being very successful. Mm-hmm. It's just it's unfortunate that it's almost gone the other way now where yeah. where now there are less men. So, that's going to bring up to kind of my last real topic of conversation. There's two elements that we need to talk about, and I've asked you to kind of be ready for like a hot seat response here. Yeah. So I found a really interesting article where it talked about potential reasons why women are more attracted to the 
to the field Mm -hmm. and why men are maybe less attracted to the field. Okay. So let's go ahead and let's look at explanations for the feminization, right? Which is saying, why are women more likely to get into veterinary medicine? The first point, and these are all speculation. They're saying there is no actual way for anybody to know for sure. It's not possible. Yeah. But there's tons of speculation. And I think there's a lot of really good arguments that could be made. So I'm not saying any of these are right. I'm saying I read them and thought those are good points. Mm -hmm. Okay. So number one of why females want to be in veterinary medicine. Uh, There's the elimination of discrimination at admissions based on gender. Yep. That's pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about in 1919 in England, right? And we the the, the civil rights and, and the women's rights movements of the 60s and 70s and the 80s in America. That's straightforward, right? Yeah. I don't think there's even an argument that could be made And there. that could be even for any profession. You Absolutely. Would, you would maybe uh, say. 100%. This one was interesting to me, and you could click on your doctor brain for this. Number two, why females would enter into veterinary medicine. Improvement in chemical restraint for large animals. <laughs> I would never have thought of that, but what do you think? Yeah. I'm, so chemical restraint is a fancy term for saying sedation. So there's a lot of drugs now available that weren't available in the 1900s that are safe, that we can sedate an animal. You can even sedate a horse for palpation and different things like that, that I, you know, and through vet school and through learning that you give them the sedative and they are just standing there in the stall and you're able to palpate them and ultrasound them and check their pregnancy and everything like that very safely where they're not trying to kick you or bite you or injure you. (laughs) So, so I think I can't, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Statement. I, I don't, sure. you know, we, we go back to the previous conversation of one of the, one of the previous arguments of why women wouldn't be good veterinarians was there, they were the weak or they were small yeah. or whatever the scenario might be. Um, I still believe that women can do whatever they want to do, right? Yeah. I mean, anybody could do whatever they put their mind to. Yeah. But uh, I do think though, that there is an element of, of women in general are a little smaller. And so some of that extra, yeah. extra help goes a long way yeah so i think it it's fair to say yeah and you know even speaking from experience of being in veterinary school with a lot of women of all different heights and sizes and everything that the all the the shorter ones would bring stools yeah. <laughs> stepping <laughs> stools with them to, to any of our large animal classes that yep. then they're taller and they were fine <laughs> yeah. and they made it through it. <laughs> so the third point about why women would be drawn to the profession is an increase in the number of female role models, especially in physically challenging aspects. Yeah. Okay. I've, you know, the ironic part is I, I guess I never really had a female role model Yeah. that I looked to. Specifically for, in, for veterinary in medicine. Veterinary. Yeah, specifically for veterinary medicine. Yeah, I have a lot of female role models, sure. but not a female vet that mm. I knew growing up. I didn't know a single female veterinarian yeah. growing up. So. I, do th- I do think, though, it would be reasonable to argue and say that, you know, this would be, this is a big picture Even scenario, now, right? Yeah. Somebody listens to this podcast. Somebody says, hey, I have a 10-year-old daughter who really wants to be a vet. 
let me tell you all about these awesome doctors, right? Dr. McGrath and Dr. Nicholson and Dr. Uh, Colt, right? Or no, Colt Cust, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, that the more that these stories are told, and now the more likelihood that yeah. there is. Yeah. I was just going to say, and now there's Doc McStuffins too. <laughs> we did mention we are parents of a two-year-old. Doc McStuffins is a phenomenal role model. Yeah. yeah. And that's what every time I see a cute little girl in my exam room that they say she's like the the doc mcstuffins but for real animals yeah <laughs> so amanda is known as the, the doc new, mcstuffins yeah. now that's gonna be the new the new trend right yeah. james harriet Probably helped so. with the <laughs> applications now it's gonna be doc mcstuffins you know this actually is a perfect transition into their last point is a caring image of veterinarians portrayed in books and on television I there know Doc McStuffins is a kitty show, but it's all about helping others and compassion and love and not that boys don't have that, but I'll tell you what, it is a natural thing in mm-hmm. girls that that motherly instinct to care and be there for others, right? Yeah. I, I do think that there is some validity to that. And Doc McStuffins is a very simple example of that. <laughs> but I do think that that's a, a This is in no reason. way an advertisement for Doc no. McStuffins. <laughs> if, unless you have a two-year-old and you need 30 minutes of, of me time, then it's an advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's flip the script, right? So let's say, why are men being pushed out or are they reluctant to enter in? Okay. So point number one, they say, is the reluctance of men to enter careers with low or stagnant income. Yeah. I think that, I mean, we don't get too deep into income or whatnot. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's not the same as other professions, specifically human doctors. Well, right? especially in comparison for the amount of school that you go to. Yes. It is the lowest paying job. Correct. So side note, both of us went into professions that needs a lot of education and gets a lower (laughs) pay compared to the average, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But but you do it because you love it. Didn't do it it. for the money. Yeah. Yeah. You do it because you love it and we're fine, blah, blah, blah. But I do think though that, that that is, there's some validity to the fact that men are typically in our society the breadwinner and they're gonna be going after the profession that's going to pay them the most money yeah and um there were lots of articles about this specifically about this concept of uh, the that veterinarians are not being compensated to the point that most people feel that they should based off their level of education. So why would I go through four years of med school to become a veterinarian if I could go through four years of med school and then some residency and push through a little bit and make three to four times what I would make as a veterinarian? And I th- I think that is the th- I think if I could make one argument why men are not as attracted to vet uh, profession, in my opinion, it's this. Yeah. I think that's kind of the thing. And then, so the flip side, so women yeah. just don't care about what they make. Are you saying I <laughs> think women don't care about what they make? <laughs> that's what it felt like. No, I'm saying, to be very clear, I'm saying that we live in a world still that even though women have come a long way, I mean, our household is very much 50-50 in my opinion. Yeah. We both share in a lot of the household duties and raising our kid and blah, blah, blah. We're all about teamwork. We're all about teamwork. But I still think, though, that we live in a world where men 
are typically the breadwinner. Yeah. Right. And so I'm not saying that that women don't care how much they make. I'm saying more often than not, I would argue that men need to make more and more often than not, women can make less to go in a profession they want. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that that is also an even argument. I'm in the teaching field. There's a lot of men I know who are actively trying to get out of teaching because they cannot support they can't their family. More. They yeah. can't. However, with on the flip side of that, I have a lot of coworkers who are females and they're perfectly fine being in education because they're on the same schedule as their children and they're and they're fine making what they can and getting the benefits they can and then and then to provide somewhat for the household, but they're not relying on their income. Yeah. Right. So that's not to say that women can't be the breadwinner. I just don't think we live in a world where women are the breadwinner. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll, we'll move on. Um, number two, loss of autonomy in the profession. So we actually talked about this a little bit. This kind of coincides with number one. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as income is concerned, you get people, you get businesses who are being bought out by big corporations and then they're actually regulating income. So I'm going to kind of tie those two together. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And then uh, the last one is actually really simple. The trend effect. Less men are in in the profession, so less men are drawn to the profession. Yeah. What do you think about that? It's just kind of a, a pattern that, yeah, I guess that could follow. And I think, I guess then the flip side is said that then more women are in it, so then more women become interested in it too. So the trend yes. is goes vice versa. Yeah. It's like snowball effect, right? Yeah. You get more of one, more in either way, right? More women coming in. So they are all snowballing in mm-hmm. more men leaving. So they're all snowballing out. Right? Yeah. I, th- I think that there's valid. All right. So we've rambled on quite a bit. We're into our last point. Right? Yeah. And this is going to go for as long as you want to go. Right. But there's <laughs> one thing that I want to talk about before I let you have the last word. Okay? All right. So our last point is women in veterinary medicine today. Right? Yes. Numbers of men and women in the field today. The AVMA says that the breakdown of working females in the industry today is 55%. Yeah. To 45% male. And vet techs, which for those that may not know, let's call that, it's like a nurse. Veterinary nurse. Veterinary is nurse. Also right? what they can Good. be termed, yes. 90% of veterinary nurses or technicians in the field are female. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought that was interesting. But the really important one is 55% female, 45% male. We said at the very beginning of the podcast or towards the beginning, veterinary medicine as a whole is overrun by females. That specific piece of data would actually tell you that's not true. It's really close to 50-50. But all the other pieces of data in vet school will tell you it's very true. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that there's something I think there's well, something there. I think there. there's still well, a lot of men that were in that era before the shift happened that are yeah. still working right now. Yeah. That I think, are kind of part of the right, the baby boomers. Exactly that what are I was gonna not say. Yet retired but gonna be retiring. And mm-hmm. so I bet there's gonna be even a bigger shift here in the next few years that that number might be higher. Yeah. Potentially kind of following more the trend of what the numbers are of veterinary veterinarians graduating yeah that school i think that that piece of data teaches us two things i would say it teaches us one that there's a lot of males who are still in the profession who are probably a lot older and Mm -hmm. it teaches us 
too, that I do think that women are more likely and do, and I think statistics would back us up if we wanted to go find them, that they do leave the field, even if it's temporarily, for family purposes. Oh, yeah. Right? And and I think that there's something there, too. Yeah. No, I I agree with that, that I know of personally and even other stories of women that have left the veterinary field in order to pursue their family, that they, they put the priority on that. And, you know, I definitely see it being yeah. a mom that I support that I you know yeah she's my number one priority you know my family is definitely now my number one priority um but that's also my big driving point to work that much harder yeah. and be that much better as a veterinarian yeah in general and like you even said to you know really encourage her and be a really good role model for her that she can overcome and be whatever she wants to be. Correct. Um, and that's, you know, kind of flip side to, you know, my end of things of being the woman. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to, uh... I'm going to turn off my mic. <laughs> I'm going to give you the last word because the last thing I want is a podcast about women in veterinary medicine and have me overtake the last, the last bit. So <laughs> Lay it on us. What do you have as the last final words for people to know about women in veterinary medicine? Well, yeah, and that's, you know, a lot of the ideas of things that were even said back in the day, right? Uh Back in even 1910 or whatever, even the rejection letter in 1950s. Even though women are more accepted, there still is a stigma and still things that follow that trend and that culture and that idea of a woman doctor and, you know, how, how people treat that. So, you know, before I got into vet school back, even, you know, rewind it back to junior high or middle school, essentially for me of being told, are you sure you want to take calculus? Don't you want to do a different class? That might be too hard for you. Um, whereas I was done with calculus in my junior year of high school, um, rather than being encouraged by male counselors to pursue this career, I had a lot of pushback and like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you're going to be capable? Um, and you know, that was back in 2007 you know, 2006. Yeah, not that long ago. Not that long ago that that I was in a lot of ways discouraged. And, you know, I, I was very thankful to have really encouraging parents that proved to me, like, no, you can do this and you can do whatever you set your mind to. And you will do this. And I, yeah, and they, I, I will. And they, they always told me that. Yeah. And then same along with that, that I had a very supportive husband that I was, (laughs) I was married to that also, you know, knew that I, I could do that. Um, and then, you know, flipping forward to the culture of, of what it's like being now a graduated veterinarian, you know, a doctor and yes, I'm younger. So I know there's a part of it that, is you do get treated a little differently, right? When you're young and you don't have as many gray hairs. And so people don't think they, 
you know, I sometimes don't go a week without somebody saying, are you sure you're old enough? <laughs> and it's like, yep, I went to school for nine years and I worked really hard for this. So there is a part of it that, you know, I think I just even wanted to kind of put that out there of people to consider of how our etiquette and and how we're treating our colleagues, as well as, you know, even people in a professional setting. Um, you know, never have I ever had a doctor, even, you know, an MD that I went to go see that I would say, you know, I'm just going to call you by your first name. And that's, you know, it's something that happens on not a super regular basis, but regular enough that sometimes starts to kind of irk you a little bit. And I'm not super haughty and I don't look down on anyone. I don't force people to call me doctor. I never wanted to be that way. I always would joke and always tell my brother that he had to call me by that <laughs> title. And if he's listening, you still should. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, you know, it can be degrading and demeaning to all, number one, you know, all that schooling that you went through. And also, you know, I know male counterparts that I've worked with have never had that issue. They haven't been called darling or sweetheart or any of those other terms in the middle of an exam or dealing with a client. And it's still, I think, something that can improve and can be shifted as far as how how we interact with with one another, um, especially as women too. Yeah. Um, and it's not just men that say that, it's women that, that call me that as well. Hmm. And it, you know, like I said, it doesn't bug me and I don't really dwell on it a lot. And if they ever ask, I just say, yeah, I, you know, I'm Dr. Vockler. Um, and that's, that's what I'd prefer. And, you know, I just leave it at that. I don't ever want it to be this hot topic or get really mad or worked up about it. But, you know, it is just something that as we're talking about it and now all the work that these women have said that it's like, man, but we still have a little bit of progress that, that we can make and a little bit of room of improvement. Yeah. That. Yeah. I agree. Well said. Well, that was the hardest couple of minutes of my life to sit back and not say very much. <laughs> <laughs> I think very well said, and, and I don't want to add really much more to it because I think that that was, um, that was everything that it needed to be. So yeah. with that said, um, we've gone longer than we usually do, and we very much appreciate you sticking around and listening. We would absolutely appreciate shares and likes and subscriptions to the podcast. We're uh, really excited about it, and I think that this is a big enough a topic that you could think of somebody that, that should hear this. So do us yeah. a favor and, and shoot that out there and uh, make somebody's day and help a little kid or a little girl specifically become a veterinarian <laughs> and become that Doc McStuffins. So um, we will see you next time.